遇见有趣的灵魂，活出真实的自己。大家好，欢迎来到谈心社，让我们一起谈心、谈情、谈音乐。Welcome to Generous Talk, an intercultural conversation on music, health, and lifestyle. Enjoy. 
struck a nerve like I don't think this this man is talking about a holiday destination so when I met up with him in the evening after work uh, that's when I realized like no this isn't a holiday destination his um, employer had asked him to move there um, so we ended up moving to Shanghai for the two of us um, Back in those days, we were not married. Visa regulations for um, Europeans meant that you need to have a study visa or work visa. Or So I ended up finding a job for myself in an organization in Shanghai that supports um, children with special needs. It's a wonderful organization that really um, builds uh, a solution for children, traditionally expat children. Over time, they've been active for 16 years now, so they also very much support the local community these days. Uh, but their original foundation was for children who um, were of an international background, uh, but not able to get their needs met in uh, an international school. Um, so... While working there and working with these children firsthand, I realized there's something, well, first of all, the, the expat experience, the international experience has an impact on children. I don't think I've ever met as many children with um, uh, disorders similar to selective mutism, so which is the definition is, is um, there's different definitions to it. To be honest, I'm not sure what the latest one is, but back in the days we were going with, it's an anxiety-related disorder, which translates into children um, not speaking to um, the, 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 the general masses of people around them. Typically, they speak to a very select uh, a group of people. Um so I, I encountered a number of children with uh, this disorder in my line of work. And that's when I realized this is something back home in the Netherlands. It's very uh, atypical. I think there's one center that really focuses on supporting children with this background. Whereas uh, in Shanghai, all of a sudden, it seemed to be something that would pop up a lot more frequently. Um, but on top of that, so the, the realization that international migration has an impact on children. That that was one uh, thing that really struck me. The other thing that I found was being allowed to do my work in the context of international schools and working on their campuses. Uh, very often there would be like a classroom that, that was decked out for me to, to do sessions with children in. Um, the other day, a principal of an international school used the word super diversity, and, and I think that's a good way to explain it. So the, the diversity of the student body in an international school is so great. Children are from so many different cultures and so many different backgrounds and belief systems that there is no predominant culture uh, present in most international schools. And this allows children to grow up with a level of understanding of people from different backgrounds and different cultures that I think a typical person growing up in a monocultural environment um, simply doesn't uh, have the opportunity to develop. Um, I've read an article once that spoke about ethno-cultural empathy, so that that would be one term to, to describe this, um, this skill. Um, and for me, that international experience working with children really led to the belief that there's something very special about international children, that the circumstances in which they are growing up are not always ideal. The, the systems that we tend to have tend to be country-based, very national-focused, um, not with the intention to exclude anyone, but simply without the realization that 
these days, 2021, globalization is a thing. It's been a thing for many decades. Um, in any typical environment, you'll find a variety of people from different backgrounds and cultures. And in that variety of people, there's also children. And these children might not be growing up with the intention of staying in that one location for the rest of their lives. And that might not be due to their own decisions, but it might also be to the transient lifestyle of their parents, for example. Or it might be because of natural or human-made disaster actually made these children uh, it forced them out of the environment where they were growing up in, and now they're forced to grow up in a different environment. And by no means I want to compare um, a traditional expat child, so with a corporate-sponsored uh, uh, family member, uh, to a child growing up in a refugee center, because, of course, the, the context of their international move is incredibly different, and their economic status is also very different. But there's uh, wonderful examples out there of expat children and refugee children or other variations meeting with each other. And if you actually sit down and view the world from this children's level, you'll see that there's a lot of similarities to their experience. So these children had to leave the home that they were familiar with, their private room, their bathroom that, that was decked out to their um to their preferences. They had to say goodbye to extended family, to friends. They had to leave a school. And now they're in this new place that's unfamiliar to them. And they need to learn a new language and they need to adapt to a new curriculum that perhaps doesn't recognize their academic track record, but also not their social track record that they were building in a previous school environment. So these experiences, no matter your background, the reason why you made an international move, um, are actually very similar. So based on these experiences, my personal belief system, um, running into this amazing organization, Expat Valley, by coincidence almost, um, I realized that this is where my life's mission is. So if you, there's very few statistics on children growing up in an international context, but uh, the United Nations International Office of Migration has one. And according to their counts, there's approximately 40 million children growing up outside of a country than the country they were born in. Um, and that's a big group. Yes. That's a big group that uh, not many people actually realize that's the size of that population. And I think... There's a lot of organizations out there that um, support the needs of these children. There's global organizations that target specific subgroups. Mm -hmm. There's local organizations that support all international children in a certain area. And Expert Valley aims to be the organization that really connects all these groups and that really makes sure that the world sees that there is a group of 40 million children um, that, have, that share similar experiences. So... And it's continuing uh, I hope by the time hmm? it's continuing to grow the number of yeah absolutely so if it's up to to us by the time I retire then international migration is an enriching experience for all children that's that's the ambition mm. yeah there is so many um I could say you know the it's kind of a tie cut um, and rebuild connection and plus their normal developmental needs and and when and the extra adaption a skill that they need to learn to adapt to the new environment and then yes from what i know and, and see there's not enough support um you know since our last conversation i 
um, was I had a conversation with a a old uh, is a family friend. We our family become friends for for over a decade, and um, she's uh, she went to London. She's from Shanghai. She went to London. Uh, Five years ago, and now she's uh, applying for college, and she has a younger, um, younger brother uh, who's in、uh, middle school to high school right now.、Mm-hmm. And I, the conversation I had there's one sentence. You know, I asked her like, "How are you doing? How are you handling with all the transition? And and you know, what's your future? Like, where do you want to go? Are you gonna you know continue stay?" In England or China or other other、um, country, and she said, "You know, I have something I want to tell all parents who want to send their children to study abroad at a young age. She's like, don't do it, <laughs> because now my so she said like I'm stuck, and my younger brother is lost, and because." It's like where's our roots? Like who am I? Like which culture do I belong to? I don't know. I have no idea, and a and it's hard to explore, and it's you no, know, it's hard to get support from my parents because they don't understand, you know, what we are experiencing, and there is no, you know, like the organization you were talking about. I think they don't have access even、uh, for this kind of support, and and that. Um, and now she's like, I just want to come back to China because you know all my past experience in in China. I feel that's home for me. And the last five years, it's a it's a whole struggle trying to find: do I go this way or that way, and where it is. And、um, yeah, it, that really make me sad. And you know, and. If you know, if we have such system,、um, what I mean, imagine what their journey would be different. Absolutely, your the story you're sharing resonates a lot. It, it's it's very similar to to other conversations I've had and stories I've le- heard from people.、Um, the good news is that to a certain extent, there are actually things, theories. Especially language that would help people like your friend and her brother to to understand what is happening to them. The complexity of the matter these days is that、um, this this knowledge is not ingrained in our society yet.、Mm. Um, it's um, a worldview that that general society isn't uh, um, conscious about yet. And I think that's one of our missions. So when I hear you. Explain your friend's story. Really, two two parts of theory stand out in my mind. The first is that when you move、um, internationally, there's this adaptation curve, which is actually very similar to the curve that you would apply to people who are grieving. So there's a roller coaster of emotions that you go through, and that's normal. That that's how people respond to change. Actually. And there were some publications back when when the COVID、uh, pandemic was hitting the world that the response of general society was also very similar to that curve. So there's、yes. denial at first, and then there's anger, and then there's the, the the next emotion typically is the sadness of losing something. And only after going through that roller coaster and things are looking up again,、um, then people start to 
truly adapt and and become a new version of themselves that's more equipped to to functioning in new society um but typically people are not taught or don't have access to this realization prior to a move so there's things happening to you that make you feel like you're very much alone in this experience and and they make you feel apart from the person you used to be. So they make you feel lost, literally. You, you, you mentioned this about um, how your friend's brother feels lost. I still remember the moment, and typically that the moment of realization is approximately seven months after your international move. For myself, I still remember where I was. I was somewhere in a very busy place in Shanghai, and it was almost as if time stopped. Like there was this realization in my head, like everybody's crazy. I cannot make sense of this. So I was trying for seven months from my own worldview to really make sense of what was happening around me. And then it was almost as if I gave up, like everybody's crazy. I can do this. But then immediately thereafter, there was this little voice like, Caroline, if you think everybody's crazy, one person is crazy and it's you. <laughs> and that's the moment that I realized that there were norms and values that I was taught back home that really helped me function in, in society back home that were the norm for most people back home, but that didn't apply to China. There were different norms and values that were, to my belief system, this was about being a human being, but it was about being a Dutch human being or probably even being a Dutch human being from the south of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And some things might even be local to my own family. But that thorough understanding of culture and, and how it impacts your own role in society, I wasn't prepared for that. And, and when I hear you share the story of your friend, it sounds like she wasn't either. They weren't either. No, no, the, the second element that came to mind is about uh, third culture kids, TCKs yes. or cross-culture kids. Yes. Um, Ruth Van Rieken wrote uh, together with um, Dave Pollock and later with his son, Michael Pollock, they wrote this amazing book about third culture kids and the theory behind it. And the idea is that there's the culture of uh, a child's family, and that could even be two cultures already if there's uh, parents from different backgrounds, but there's a culture of the, the, the family. Mm -hmm. And then there's the culture of the actual location where the family is in. And the child ends up forming a third culture because they're not home to whatever might be home for family, for both their parents or one of that or, or the, the two different homes of their parents. But they're not home and local to the society that they're growing up in. So there's a unique third culture to these children. Um, Ruth Van Rieken, if you, and there's loads of podcasts of her online and there's uh, loads of publications too. If you uh, have a chance, go listen. She has a couple of amazing stories of children actually having the language to identify themselves as a third culture kid very at a very early age. Um, and I'm not saying that that takes away from the experience or the, the, the emotional roller coaster involved or the finding your place in society, which I think most human beings struggle with at one point in their lives. Um, but if you have the language, at least it puts things into perspective and it makes you part of a bigger group with similar shared experiences. And I think... That's one of the things that could make a difference. And again, being on your podcast and having a, a little platform to, to share this knowledge and maybe reach one or two people that are now able to reach one or two people more, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, I certainly hope so. And um, yeah, so th thinking about, you know, that 
third culture gate when I first heard about it. Um, you know, because I was preparing to move back to Shanghai after uh, studying and working in Boston, uh, the Berkeley College Museum, you know, Boston or Boston area. It's a different culture. The the college itself has we call it a Berkeley bubble, mm-hmm. <laughs> have a culture that's even you know significantly different from the Boston area. And you know, a group of artists, musicians, m- most creative people gathering together, and, and we think about all those crazy idea. Uh, we are so uh, sensitive to a lot of you know what's going on in our environment, and then channeling them um, into the work. And then you know, compared to living in Boston, um, it was different uh, university, of course, a research center, um, and. Uh, I call normal residents uh, living in the city. It, it's it has a specific culture, um, and then now moving back to Shanghai, even think about uh, the Shanghai I left uh, seven years ago. It's a certain culture I recognize. You know, during the seven years, so many things happened. I, I see there's more asp- There was a lot of export experts already, but now. Mm-hmm more international um, and much more uh, international corporates uh, and the, the technology invi- uh, advancement. Um, and uh, of course, I see you know, the aging population is, is increasing. Mm-hmm. I think that culture is shifting as well. Um, just, just like, I think for me, just if I think about it, if I never left Shanghai, I probably would not see all those layers. I yeah, what you're saying resonates a lot. Yes. Yeah. How how was it for you to to build your identity um, through all these experiences? Um, I did have um, an experience. Um, it's. I think it's because my training psychodrama, I love using visualization and embodiment kind of to move through things rather than just speech. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel, uh, you know, there's the metaphor. I feel the four years at Berkeley was, I think, first of all, because Berkeley is like the, you know, when you talk about international school, it's like a, special place because there's um, there are people from over 130 different cultures and mm-hmm. like musicians we living together <laughs> we basically like living together and see each other every day and, and then we, we are sharing our you know our music our artistic production which is so intimate uh, to our own personal experience our cultural background um, just through sharing that experience that very intimate project I get to know um, I feel like because of music I get to know people in a very very deep level um, I even have conversation with other people who went to like business school they're like wow like we're not like that we just have project and then we <laughs> the work in the in a class then we you know you know bye but but for me I feel that in pers- personal connection is so deep with my uh, peers at Berkeley mm-hmm. and 
that and, and we enjoy i i enjoy so much have those com- like little conversation about culture like even including different belief systems different religions how how we perceive the world differently and even with music itself like in western music uh the major chord or major key are associated with happy more positive more bright uh, the minor key are more like a bit dimmer maybe a, a bit sad but in another culture no it's totally different maybe the opposite and, and these kind of st- like gradually breaking down my perception my uh, the perception i had about the world before i went to berkeley you know i mm-hmm. in i could say shanghai culture my family upbringing um and uh that um identity perception of me of the world just gradually it's like a if we if we say the identity self identity is like a made of a glass vessel or something it just broke down gradually into many many beautiful pieces mm-hmm. and it it was a couple years of experience those breaking down and then i started to recognize more and more oh wow like the part i thought was me was actually coming from society it was coming from the social value the 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 common value um or, or what society expect me to be and i started okay okay let me put this away that's not me okay oh wow this is a part that is always there it ever changes no matter in which kind of situation no matter what is in what kind of environment i mean wow this is me that that something it doesn't change uh, that's consistent and i get to shade all those off and also just you know standing around it and look at each piece like okay this is the part i want to take with me this is the part i don't want anymore mm-hmm. and and gradually like building that self identity intentionally not unconsciously anymore i feel that's very very beautiful i just say the process is still ongoing mm-hmm. um and i feel that awareness it just I think it's going just going to stay with me. It's recognize yeah. okay what what is the environment what okay I'm here what is the environment present uh what kind of value the environment has and what's me and what do I want to connect with merge with or what do I want to stand away with I, that awareness kind of is is constant there it, it feels very beautiful and a lot of people would uh, would ask like oh wow what what do you you know gain to study abroad i feel apart from you know get a degree professional training like your skill set um i feel this part is is so beautiful like it's a crafting and intentionally crafting of who i am that's amazing. I love the the metaphor but also the mental exercise that you turn it into for yourself and I I think um for you to share that with other people for who it might help to yeah take 
um, ownership, but also control over building their identity in a complex landscape, in a changing landscape. I think that's uh, that's wonderful of you to do that. Um, it also makes me think of this TED talk that I was listening to the other day, which focused on the question, where are you local? Um, as opposed to where are you from, which tends to be the question that we ask, especially based on like physical features of somebody. So we we sort of notice like, well, in the Netherlands, I'm not the only natural blonde woman. There's more of us. Whereas in China, as you can imagine, I stood out a little yes, bit. Yes. I'm a little bit taller also than the average woman in China. Um, so I got asked a lot, where are you from? Both by locals as by other international uh, people with an international background. But, but the question, where are you local? Uh, I was listening to this TED Talk a couple of weeks ago. For me, it was finally a way of um, allowing myself to miss Shanghai um, without trying to to figure out like, but how is it possible that I'm a woman from the Netherlands? I'm now living in a town which is actually very close to the town that I was born in. Mm. My family is all here. My kids are here. My husband is here. There's no Chinese element in my life other than the five years that I spent in China, but it's not there anymore. But the realization, if I were to answer the question, where do I feel local, then Shanghai and the little neighborhood where we lived and the, the shops and the places that we would frequently visit and the fact that I got to know a lot of people there um, and not just like one conversation, but like those are your colleagues, you worked with them for many years. It makes me feel local in, well, Shanghai is a huge city, so I wouldn't say all of it, but parts of it, yeah, I... I if I were to, and COVID is, is definitely making this difficult right now, but but I trust there will be a chance to show my oldest daughter the city that she was born in and that she spends the two for the first two years of her life. And I know it will feel as if I'm coming home, mm. but I'm not home, but I am. So <laughs> for you, where do you feel local? That concept is, is great. Um I would say, like, even it, first of all, the question when people ask me, where are you from? I sometimes want to say I'm from Berkeley, you know? <laughs> I, you know, it's not, I just want to say that because I, I feel that's a place, uh, I feel that's part of my identity mm -hmm. where I feel I belong to. Um, the every the value the in, you know being very creative being bold uh, not afraid of ambiguity at all um, and wanting to um, wanting to say and see and say something that even the entire world does not agree is that that um, I see that's a spirit of uh, artists innovative artists mm -hmm. um, and also being very true to yourself uh and collaboration um it's really like the the co-creation is much higher than competition uh mm -hmm. i feel like all these value are so and also a social responsibility you know artists and what the work we do know how impactful music arts can be and and feel there's a response social responsibility of you know be aware of the impact uh, with the anything we create um you know that has on society i feel all these value 
make me feel like I want to say, yeah, I'm from Berkeley. Now the question, yeah, I. If you ask me where I feel local, yeah, yeah, Berkeley. Even coming back home, I've, I, I still feel like yes, I'm. We call like we're. I'm a Berkeley cat. That's how we call ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the Shanghai, the Shanghai culture is as uh, because uh, as far as I know, our family have in uh, at least four generation um, is uh, was in Shanghai and and had. It's a long family history, um, you know, hearing all the stories of my grandparents, great-grandparents, like the story passing down, the oral history passing down, make me feel very, very connected with the city. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 interesting, like when I was in, in Berkeley, um, and I feel I'm very proud that you know I'm Shanghainese, you know? um, and and I feel these two are a kind of big, uh, yeah, where I feel local. And I think on the third level, that's also some you know why I want to do the podcast because I find you know kind of English when talk about like how. So, there's one person who was, uh, I forgot who, but say like, okay, how do you define um, where you belong? You know, is is what language do you dream in life? <laughs> what, what, yeah, what language do you dream at night? Um, and I feel I can have both, like Chinese, English, and I feel like I can think in both ways. And I recognize these two languages have like different way of thinking, a different way of process the world. And I feel like these are both part of me. I, I cannot say I have this one or that one. I have to choose. No, these are just all part of me. And the language mm-hmm. like Shanghainese is part of me. Shanghainese has a specific character and there's there are expressions um, exist in the language I just cannot translate into other language at all and it's just I have to say that or in my mind I just it's just uh, jump out in my mind so I feel like the, another part of like study abroad Berkeley and, and working in Boston especially Boston it's a also a very diverse um, city um, people from all over the place and uh, and as a mute therapist I feel very lucky to to work with people really walk in all kinds of, you know, life, um, in mm-hmm. different economic background, ethnicity, um, culture, different kind of life struggle. And that make me feel like a, a global citizen uh, in some way. And if, if you ask me where I'm local, if you, okay, there's part of me is there <laughs> as well. Yes. That's why I want to do the pod. This podcast, it's it's bilingual. I have Chinese um, interviews, guests, and I have people who speak English. And you know, when I was thinking about building the podcast, I'm like, I cannot just do Chinese all English. Like, I just want to include all of them because cutting either of them feel like cutting part of myself. I, yeah. You you were using the verb include when you were exp- explaining this, and I think that's what it's all about. It's about inclusion. It's about realizing that there's diversity, 
um, and and different people, different storylines for different people, and that's okay. I'm not saying that everybody needs to include everybody all the time. Like, yeah. let's start with just including what's near to you. That that's a good starting point. Yeah. Um, and standing for what you believe in. I also love what you were saying about the different languages. I think for me being allowed to spend more time in China. I studied a bit of Mandarin. My pronunciation is all off, especially now. I, well, the guy who sells, there's there's a uh, a little French fry stop, uh, shop this, just around the corner here. And the owner is actually from Shanghai. And he oh, grew up wow. there, but he's been in the Netherlands for 20 years. So he'll okay. speak Chinese to me every now and then, which is hilarious because then there's this Chinese man and this blonde <laughs> woman in this small town in the Netherlands yelling Chinese stuff at each other over the town square. Um, my kids will participate and ask him for ice cream in Chinese. Um, but really understanding the language, um, but also the way of thinking behind the language allows you to, to avoid things getting lost in translation. And I think that's something between different cultures that happens a lot. When you were explaining uh, your, your choices for the podcast to me, uh, this memory came back of this one time where my mom was visiting me in Shanghai and we were living next to Sujahui Park mm -hmm. and we would go in the elevator very early in the morning to watch the people do um, Tai Chi. Oh, um, and that's when we were riding the elevator. I think we were on our way back to the apartment, but it doesn't really matter. There was this local man in the elevator, but very friendly, of course, uh, he noticed us, so he spoke English to us. But then the question that he asked us, or what he said to us was, did you eat yet? Mm. And my mom was like, what is this? I'm like, well, in China, early in the morning, a way of greeting each other is nichirama. Yes. And this man realized that if he would say it in Chinese to my mother, she wouldn't understand him. So he literally <laughs> translated his greeting into English, which led to a lot of confusion, obviously, because you, in English, you don't greet each other with yes. the question if the other person ate yet. <laughs> but it's very similar to people in English saying to each other, hi, how are you? Whereas in the Netherlands, if we, we either say hi, but if we ask, how are you, then it's a quick conversation, but it's always an actual conversation. Mm -hmm. So back when I was working for my American uh, employer in Shanghai, he would mm -hmm. come in in the morning and yell, hi, how are you? And I would okay. be answering him and he would be like two doors down yes. the hallway. Yes. Whereas with my Dutch colleagues, it would be this hilarious running joke. Like we would yell behind him, like we would tell him how our day started. But <laughs> it's, and I mean, this is this is a small um, language mix-up. Um, these are examples of small mix-ups, but yeah, only imagine how often the bigger mix-ups happen simply because we don't understand the roots of each other's backgrounds. And yeah, that's where back to to my mission. That's why I believe that international children should have. Um, an environment to them that really supports them to thrive because these children are going to be making all the difference in the world and they bring a skill set they bring a worldview that yeah my children who are now growing up in a much more monocultural environment we try our best to expose them to other elements but um it's not easy because a lot of our surroundings are very Dutch. Um, but the children in their classroom who are from different backgrounds, even if they're third or fourth generation migrants, even mm -hmm. they bring new flavors into my children's lives. And I think that also allows my children who are much more local to prepare for society, which yeah is, is globalizing. And uh, it's something I love. 
Yes, yes, totally. Um, I know our time is almost up, and I feel there's yeah, I saw so it. many things we could talk about. So, like, hmm, maybe we could connect in a couple months or a couple of weeks. And, Absolutely, and have uh, there's so many good nuggets, you know, and and insights we can you we can talk about, and and maybe just jumping out of a conversation, we can continue. Um, this conversation and um, um, and also uh, you know hear your updates of uh, of course um, your now is two people starting this movement and connecting with more organization and like-minded people and, and we can you know have the updates of how everything's going yeah let's do that that sounds like a plan sounds good well thank you for today and um And we'll keep the conversation going next time. Let's do that. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.